Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today's podcast title is called How to Build a Business Continuity Management Program That Lasts. Our guest is Shane Matthew. He is the head of enterprise resilience for Zoom. Shane, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Vanessa. I'm excited (laughs) to finally be here. It's been a long time. (laughs) Long time coming. So you got a background in public health and consulting and technology. For those people who may be listening who don't know about Shane Matthew, who are you? What's your background? (laughs) Who am I? It's a great question. (laughs) Well, I am, (laughs) I, I think... It can be defined and quantified in, in just somebody. I really am a learner of this of this craft. I am not an expert by any means. I've just got a lot of life lessons that I've been able to keep under my belt and apply. Um, I started out in public health, as you said, and it was primarily because uh, I got out of school and I was like, what do I do with my life? So uh, I, I happened to have uh, an experience nearby a school that was in, you know doing healthcare administration. So I started down that path thinking I could help uh, more on the uh, administrative side of, of life uh, in healthcare. And, and um, I ended up starting to learn more about healthcare emergencies and, and how emergency response planning is really important in the public health spectrum. The anthrax attacks in 2002 really jump-started funding in that field. So I joined a, a program and started to work in that area. And as part of that work, it was, you know, building emergency response plans, but also recovery plans for your public health capabilities in the midst of an emergency. So it was just, uh, you know, an effort around that that kind of led us to, down the path to business continuity. And, and I can just continue down that road. Now, as far as my work in tech, that is completely through just meeting people, networking, and, and, and getting to know some really great people who invited me to join them in their, in their organizations. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. We have a lot to cover today. So podcast titled, right? Uh, How to build a business continuity program that lasts. Let's start with the life cycle from your expertise and experience. What's the natural life cycle that you follow that allows you to have a lasting program? Well, you know, you really have to start off the ball rolling with really understanding the organization uh, and not making decisions based on what the traditional business continuity lifecycle can kind of oftentimes get you involved in, right? So if, you, if you're not careful, it can quickly spin into kind of like that reboot cycle uh, that, that I, I kind of think about in the, in the concept of, hey, if you're not right, your program's going to restart whether you're there or not. And it's going to generally be because you haven't hit the mark on the front end. So that first couple of steps is really important. And I think one of the first things that I recommend to programs that really want to last the test of time is not to jump into immediately taking action on 
um, business continuity traditional activities. Like your first day should not be the first day you start writing a BIA list of questions. All right. So I think it's really important for you to develop a purpose, a mission, a strategic objectives. And, and one thing I always recommend to do is, is to develop a transformation statement, I call it. And many people call it different things, but basically, hey, what's the current state today and where do you want to get to, right? And, and making sure that's very clear and then aligned with your business leaders because they'll call you in and tell you, I want you to start a business continuity program, Shane. Uh, but the reality is they want you to start a compliance program or they want you to start a X program, but you don't know that because all they said at the beginning was business continuity. And so spend your time wisely in the front end developing that strategy is, is, is so important. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works, how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. Really, really love your statement, uh, a transformational statement, current state, what's my future state? And then the third component, because uh, future state doesn't matter if you don't have alignment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that has been my biggest lesson learned is that like I, I go in thinking this is what they want. That obviously they hired me, that my title says this, this is what they want. But I, I started working in sales uh, when I was working as a consultant and I started to help understand a client's needs versus what they say. And that's like, <laughs> there's a phrase in, <laughs> there's a phrase in sales is like, whenever a client's opening their mouth, they're not necessarily telling you the truth. Okay. <laughs> so you have to be careful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where I started to say, okay, I've really got to apply that logic to my client, which is sometimes my leadership or the customer stakeholder in you know, the, the departments I'm working with. Yep. So I feel like I have learned so much more and I'm a better practitioner because I now run a consulting business and, and my 90% of my job is sales. Because to your point, sales flip the switch, listen and listen for the problem. <laughs> and you need to understand if we're going to implement BCP, how is it helping to solve that problem? Like, show me that. Let me see that. Right. And I right. appreciate right. sales for like pushing you are you sure you can solve it? <laughs> right. I think one thing I remember going into an organization, the, the leader was like, here's Shane. He's going to solve all our problems. Like he literally said that. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, like it's important for me at that point to recognize this is what they're thinking I'm going to do. So I shouldn't be coming in and saying, let's go do our risk assessment, guys, or let's go do our plan writing by department, because that's not solving problems. That's writing plans for if a problem happens. Solving problems to them was like, hey, find areas of risk and reduce those areas of risk now. Yep. So that you really have to listen to what they're saying and not necessarily just do what you're thinking is the right thing to do. Right. So natural life cycle, get to know the organization because you can't add value unless you know the business that you're in, right? Figure out what's the current state map out the future state, get alignment, mm -hmm. build relationships, et cetera. Then how do you set scope? Once you figure that stuff out, how do you know what's in scope and what's out of scope? 
So there's two parts to that. The, the first, I think, is establishing clearly what is the realm of planning that you want to build. Uh, you know, today with Zoom, other other tools at our disposal now, it's not like the yesteryear where facility goes down and we're we're, we're all it's, the whole show is over, right? There's so many opportunities for you know backup and and going into a different home environment and working from there. So. There's, there's really needs to be a clear understanding about, hey, where do we care about in the business? Do we care about business units or do we care about general critical activities that, you know, for example, order to cash or, or getting, you know, an order and getting the money at the end, that cycle, is that more important for us to recover or individual business units? So that's the first question you have to define and answer clearly. Nowadays, most business leaders would say, I'd rather have the big process always ready, not necessarily individual business units. We can handle one or two things lost, not a whole thing down, right? So that's scope parameters where you establish which business units and which areas the business unit work on. The second thing is order, okay? So you cannot have an all or nothing thing. The scope needs to be clearly defined as to which one comes first. Do we want finance done first or do we want your operations done first, what's more important? And you have to be able to scope and prioritize as well because the, the limited amount of resources you have, that timeline for some sort of quick win gets longer and longer and longer if your scope is huge or it, it's not prioritized in any way. I hope that makes sense. I'm just, I'm just thinking that that's really needed when you establish the program at the beginning. Yep. So case in point, I was talking to a healthcare company yesterday and he said, um, I need a business continuity and a coop and a DR plan. I said, okay, well, how do you define those three different things? Because everybody has their own definitions. So he told me what they were. And then he said, yep. And I need this done by December. And I said, uh, uh, 23, right? <laughs> so he said, no, December, 2022. I'm like, okay, it's April, it's October 15th. So my comment to him, I said, so you want a minimum viable product? <laughs> and he said, that's the name of the game. Hey, so there you go. Question for you, Shane, how should leaders differentiate between a minimum viable product, aka an MVP, or a nice to have? Yeah, I think the importance there is what you just described, which was diving deeper into what's what's the bare minimum that you need, right? And so you have to ask somebody, what are they willing to accept and, and what is necessary first? I think that's a very key part to this. I think also you need to look at the culture of the organization and what the dependencies are for this whole program, right? So if it's to satisfy a audit, if this is to satisfy a, um, a compliance with a standard, you know, what is the timeline on that is a factor that you have to, to incorporate in the discussion. Like I've been a part of organizations where they've had an audit come in and say, you need business continuity. And then that auditor is coming back next year. So you, you kind of have to say, okay, what can we get done by next year? Is it, is it safe to say that we can do everything you're asking for or just a few of the things? Now that requires you as a practitioner to be able to understand what are the inputs that you need in order to achieve that goal. And if the inputs you have are not enough, what is the actual timeline that it would actually be built in if you just had you and that's all you had at your disposal. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. So whenever an executive says, I need it by next quarter or whatever, I always have to say, okay, well, 
let's agree that I'm going to research and see if it's feasible. And I'll come back to you shortly with a feasibility study to say, this is the real reality of how we can accomplish this and what it would take to, if you want me to accelerate it. Yeah. So what I appreciate about that is it's setting the tone and it's helping to clarify expectations so that another yeah. executive doesn't say Shane's here to solve all of our problems. <laughs> Run if that happens. <laughs> so, but it it goes back to branding, right? Um, why should you set a tone for a BC program? And then follow-up question is how do you do that? Yeah. So, okay. So that's a really good question because, okay, think about it this way. When, when you go to McDonald's on any place on earth, you have an expectation of what's going to be in that McDonald's, right? Because you've been consistently rewarded with that cheeseburger, the same bread, the same formula recipe everywhere you go. So if I go to McDonald's, I know what I'm going to get, okay? The same thing with your brand. You really, one of the, the best factors for brand doing well is consistency, Okay, so if you know every time Shane says he's going to do this, I get this, right? And be consistent as much as possible with your request. And that's how you start to develop that understanding with your peers and your leaders that Shane has the credibility about this, or this program has, you know, they tell us what they're going to give us and then we give it. And now you're always going to face somebody who has unrealistic expectations, right? But pretty soon, if you stay consistent, you'll know, hey, I'm going to McDonald's. There's no steak on the menu. There's only hamburgers. This is what I'm going to get. So I think consistency is the biggest thing if you want to build that brand. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper. And you're now the head of resilience. So observation only. What I would observe, right, is as the head of resilience, there's a certain tone anyway because of title. And people might show you more respect. What if I'm a consultant or if I'm a subject matter expert or I'm a specialist and I'm a team of one, how do I set tone for my program? So I don't feel like no one takes me seriously. People don't show up. It's hard for me to get things done. I can't get the budget. Sometimes the barrier is access to the table, which Shane, you're at the table. <laughs> a lot of folks who might be listening, right? They're not. So how how do folks that may uh, may not be where they want to be on the corporate ladder or maybe who don't care to be there, how do they still help to build the right tone so that the program has the respect that they need it to have within the organization? There's not a, a formulaic way for that to happen. It, it's going to be consistency and in, in a long-term st strategy around how you develop that, right? So so if you don't have the immediate buy-in or or the weight of what you're saying, uh, to the to the people that make decisions, you're going to have to establish a clear-cut strategy on how to gain that awareness. That could be starting small and building small wins that you popularize. That 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 I think you can control, right? So really establishing quickly, hey, what are the victories that our team has accomplished, our program has accomplished? And please do not use, I, I did 50 VIAs this year as a accomplishment that's going to sway anyone. Please right? run that back. Run that back. <laughs> use the number of VIAs as your victory, okay? <laughs> you know, solving problems. I told you earlier, somebody asked, said, Shane's here to solve problems. I think that's the key takeaway for anyone, no matter where your title lands. He's like, are you solving problems for the business 
And if so, are you also popularizing that? Are you making sure that word gets out and not just being content with, well, I just told my boss about it. You know, building relationships happens in a business too. And so making sure that word gets out is, is, is important. Awesome. So last, last question, and I want to stick with this theme of branding. So how should an organization's brand identity be tied to their business continuity program? Right. Like if I go on some somebody's website, post George Floyd, it's it's hey, EEOC statements. We're all about diversity, blah, 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 blah. But unless I go to a petroleum gas company, I don't really see a lot about safety and security and enterprise risk and resilience. So from your perspective, how should an organization's identity be tied to their BC program? Well, I, I can only speak to some of the examples I've experienced. You know, I, I tend to see or tend to be a part of organizations that, you know, are really clear about what their expectations are with culture. Like at Zoom right now, our culture, you know, is based on a, a simple statement of, you know, customer happiness, right? So our, our goal is to ensure it's not about the product necessarily as much as we want to make sure our customer experience is a good one from product to when they interact with us, et cetera. Okay, so, so using that model, you, you have to look at what the business does say is important and does exemplify and vocalize. And if that's your basis for building your program, that, that you're never gonna go wrong if you approach it in that way. So in, in my opinion, you have to look at what is the visible again like again going back to the question of well you know what are they really saying right so the question should be applied to your business too what is the business really value is important so for me if it's you know frictionless communication for example i want to make sure my resilience program is also frictionless resilience right i don't want to have a situation where i'm building all these barriers to even participating at all so I think there's there's a there's a way you have to look at it, but it it involves intentionality that I don't think we oftentimes do is to look at the culture, the big picture of what our organization stands for, and then try to mirror that in my program. We 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 sometimes tend to focus, and I would say we as business continuity professionals, we tend to say this is what we have to do for a business continuity program to be successful, right? And so I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, but that's never that's never a really a good strategy because you know you go to your family and you spend time with them you don't ever go in there with like this is what i'm going to do and you guys are just going to follow along and really see a lot of success with that with your family or friends so why would that apply why wouldn't that apply for your business that's the way i approach it got it for those of you who are tuning in, uh, if you want to go back and watch the Green Room exclusive interview with Shane Matthew, you should check out the Business Resilience Decoded Four Corners uh, news newsletter to catch that episode. Shane, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> what is the best way for our subscribers to stay connected and to learn more about you? Yeah, I think the, the easiest way is through LinkedIn. Uh, as you mentioned before, I start, try to stay as active as possible uh, and, and keep engaging with people. If you have questions, email me. I really do try my best. If I don't know the answer, I will find somebody who does and try to hook you up with uh, that person. So LinkedIn, Shane Matthew, M-A-T-H-E-W, that's the best way. Awesome. And of course, Matthew with one T because there's no other way to spell yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asphalus Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. 
make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.